Hey guys, welcome back to the Millionaire Grinders podcast. For this episode, I interviewed Pia Beck. She's a business coach and founder of Curate Waco. She used to work in human resources, so I thought she was the perfect person to talk about goal setting, productivity, and also taking care of yourself as an entrepreneur. Enjoy it. Welcome to the Grind Podcast. I'm your host, Erica Peter, content marketing specialist, journalist, and founder of The Grind. So The Grind is a platform dedicated to millennial creatives and coaches. If you want to understand how to build a successful business, make sure you subscribe. Every week, I will interview millennial creatives and coaches, and I will give you marketing tips. So welcome to the family. Hello, Pia. Welcome to the Millennial Grinders podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. I'm so excited to chat. Yes, me too. We have a lot of things to talk about. But before jumping into it, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Okay, perfect. Um, so my name is Pia Beck and my company is Curate Wellco. And we are coaching, consulting and community for impact driven entrepreneurs. So we help our clients scale their businesses intentionally while maintaining the integrity of their work and without losing connection to their community. Community is at the heart of everything we do. And so we work with women who are taking a people over profits approach to scaling their business. And they have a goal to impact tens, if not hundreds of thousands of lives. Wow, that's very interesting an extremely specific niche. So I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me actually what led you to launch that company? So Carrie Welco was born out of a couple of ideas. So the first was that, you know, I had a career, I kind of went through life checking all the boxes and I worked in tech and startup companies and climbed the ladder. And while I was good, really good at certain parts of my job, I didn't really feel that I could 100% be myself and do what I was great at in my job. I think that a lot of the workplace cultures that I was in really started to drain me of what made me me. And I knew that there were people who could benefit from what I was really, really great at that came naturally to me, that I enjoyed doing, that I loved talking about, the things that were my strengths, and that I could really help people by doing that by being 100% me and it would benefit all of us. So it was really founded, the company is founded on the idea that you don't have to change who you are to be successful, that you have a gift, you have a unique expertise and you are uniquely and exceptionally able to solve a very specific problem. Hmm. That's very interesting. So let me ask you something. You talked about the fact that you knew what were your strengths. And I feel like it's something that is actually hard for a lot of people to identify. Mm -hmm. So while you were working, how did you identify what were your strengths? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I agree with you. I think that it can be challenging for people to really name what this is. And the way I figured it out was um, through a couple of different methods. So first and foremost, I think it's a lot of self-awareness and introspection. So really taking the time to understand what comes naturally to you. When are you happiest? When are you most inspired? What are you experiencing of the way that you show up in the world? And really kind of turning inward first and foremost. The second thing that um, really helped me was asking other people. 
So um, there's an exercise that I do that I encourage my clients to do, which is to interview people in their life who know, interview people who know you really well. So this can be friends, it can be partner, it can be family members, it can be people who know you professionally or personally and ask them about what they think you're really good at. So asking them, you know, what do you most appreciate about me? What do you wish I appreciated more about myself? When and when do you think I'm most inspired? What do I do for you that no one else in your life does for you? And so asking other people how they perceive you can also lend such insightful information that you know, we may or may not be aware of from our own experience. And then the third thing that I found incredibly helpful is actually just to ask my clients. So in my offboarding form, I have a question that asks them, what did I uniquely provide that you haven't experienced anywhere else? What Mm -hmm. was the thing that made a big difference for you that you're not seeing anywhere else in the marketplace that you think that we do differently, that you think we do exceptionally well? And that's also been really, really helpful to hear directly from people who've experienced it firsthand in their words. That's very interesting. Asking questions is something very easy to do, but at the same time, a lot of people compare themselves to others, meaning that the gift that they have naturally, they undervalue it because someone else is doing something that they wish they could do. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that imposter syndrome is something that we can get rid of permanently. So I'd like to know how did you fight it in order for you to focus on your gift? Yeah, that's such a good question. And, you know, just to be totally real, I think that you're right. Imposter syndrome is something that's that's really challenging to overcome and 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 I don't think it ever goes away, right? There's a saying new level, new devil. And so every time we push ourselves, every time we expand, every time we grow, which in entrepreneurship is daily, right? There are opportunities where we question ourselves a little bit and I, and I'm no different than that. So, while there are, you know, a couple of things that I think really help me to combat imposter syndrome when it creeps up, I'm certainly not immune to it and I experience it just the way that everybody else does. I think the number one thing that that really helps me is having a long-term vision for my life and for my business. And when I say long-term, I mean a 10-year vision. I know what my business is going to look like 10 years from now. And what I find is that when I get sucked into comparison or I'm feeling imposter syndrome, it's usually because I've lost sight of my vision temporarily, right? I'm paying attention to what other people are doing. I'm watching them strive towards their goals. I'm watching them create their vision and I've kind of forgotten about my own. And I find that when I can turn my attention back to my vision, remember the future that I'm creating for myself, what my values are, what my goals are, and like the vision that I'm holding for for my business, it it allows me to feel okay about what I'm doing, to feel excited about what I'm doing even, right? And mm-hmm. to not not care as much about what other people are doing, not anything negative about anyone else. Just it, it just kind of helps me put my blinders on to what I'm what I'm up to. Mm-hmm. That's a really good answer. Um, and actually to jump back on it, you know, we all have uh, different experiences mm-hmm. and all those experiences, we can use them, you know, in our entrepreneurship journey Mm -hmm. and you had an experience in HR in a tech environment Mm -hmm. and I would love to know what were the things that you were able to apply to your business because of that specific 
experience? That's such a good question. And it's something that um, I don't think that we talk about enough. And so I'm really glad you asked that. There's a couple of things that I think I got from my HR experience. So, you know, my role was in innovative, high growth tech and startup companies. And so I had um, what I didn't realize at the time was a lot of experience scaling business, right? I was very involved in the growth of these businesses from the HR perspective in terms of, you know, recruiting and hiring and and training people and also creating all of the systems and processes to kind of trickle down into the company. And so I had a lot of experience um, learning how to take something that needed to happen and have it be disseminated across multiple levels of a company in multiple different time zones to different teams overseen by different managers. And so I had um, a lot of experience that allowed me to really think about, okay, this thing that needs to be done, what does it look like at scale? What needs to Mm -hmm. be built so that I can package it up and hand it to a manager who's three time zones away and they can implement on it within the constructs of Um, HR regulations and employment law and company policies and and all that good stuff. So that's one thing that I think um, I've really brought into my business. And I'm really, really glad to have had that experience. I think the other big thing that I think about is the client experience. You know, in, in HR, HR stands for human resources. You are a resource for the humans of the business. And so I learned a lot about um, really how to support people. And I bring that into my business now with my clients and providing a really high touch, um, holistic client experience. And as my business has grown, I've hired a team this year. And so it's also been incredibly helpful, not only in terms of the logistics of, you know, onboarding an internal team, but creating a company culture that the Mm -hmm. business can continue to grow into over the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And Actually, what was your thought process into creating that company culture? Good question. So, you know, this is something that I think is, it's built in our daily actions. And, um, you know, in the back half of this year, I've been spending a lot of time really thinking about this. I think the number one thing and, and something that I've really been working on with my team is, is our values, right? What are our core company values? What are those values? How do we define them? And then what are the KPIs? What are the key performance indicators that tell us that that value is alive and well in our company? So what does it actually look like in practice? And mm-hmm. that is kind of the, I think the number one thing that drives our company culture is what are what are our core values how do we do the things that we do amazing so you know what let's go back a little bit to the time you decided to launch your business Mm -hmm. so did you have any influence at that time meaning on social media or anything or did you really start it from the bottom so I um everything at at Curie Walco is is kind of built from, from the ground up um, by me. <laughs> I was a team of one <laughs> until this year. And, and now we're a team of three and, and we hope to continue to grow. Um, you know, I think that social media was definitely a part of my business from day one. Um, I definitely focused on creating an online presence, honing and then leveraging our online presence as the business continued to grow. Um, and I think that, you know, we live in an era where we are very online and there's a lot of information and a lot of opinions and a lot of noise and a lot of um, everything happening right at our fingertips. And so, you know, I would say that a, a big part of Curate Well Co. is um, choice. 
were really founded on the idea of choice. And that's something that I implemented from day one in my business. What are the choices that I'm making? How can I be fully aligned in my choice of what I want this business to be? And, um, you know, it, it's been, I think one of the benefits of social media is that we are more connected to more people. And so I've also found it incredibly helpful to um, understand the market, to understand my ideal clients and how I can better serve them. Um, and to get inspiration from other female leaders in the space who are just doing really cool things. You know, I was saying earlier that you are very specific about your niche. Um, was it always the case? No, I think that, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's something that evolves over time. So, you mm -hmm. know, from the beginning, I think that knowing who your ideal client is from day one is incredibly beneficial. And I think that that's one mistake that I made in my business. And it's part of what I coach my clients on because I learned a lot from that experience. And a lot of the work I've done to get to further define and get more specific about our niche has only fueled our growth. And so through those learnings, I've really um, set my clients up for success and conveyed to them the importance of doing this from the beginning and shared my experiences and, and you know, the, the hurdles that we face because we started fairly general at the beginning. Um, so I think that having an ideal client profile from the beginning is incredibly helpful. However, I've also learned that it, it evolves, right? It, it evolves, mm -hmm. it pivots, it grows, it expands. It, it's a dynamic um, entity, right? So I think we think a lot of the times the niche as like a pre-carved out area of the market. And I think that to some extent that's true. However, I also believe that as we work with more people, as we spend more time in community, as we continue to hone how we deliver our deep expertise with the world, we gain more and more insight into who it is that we want to work with, what they're struggling with, and how we can best support them. And, you know, we take a really data-driven approach at Curate Wellco to serving our ICA. And so, um, you know, I think that there's also an opportunity to continue to have your ideal client profile really evolve over time based on the strategic collection of data as you work with people and continue to master your business. Wonderful. Um, so, you know, um, just because you, you know, you value mental health and overall well-being, I wanted to get some advice from you. You know, right now, the pandemic pushed a lot of countries into mental health crisis. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. being one, Canada, and even countries in Europe. Mm -hmm. And for entrepreneurs working from home, networking only digitally can be very difficult. You yeah. know, for some people, it's easy, but others need to see people. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about these challenges based on your experience. How can a solo entrepreneur prioritize self-care while growing their business from home? It's a really good question. I think that self-care looks a little bit different for every person. So my mm -hmm. recommendation is just to figure out what are the things that make a difference for you. So for me, what that looks like is not working late in the evening. I need to end my work before dinner. I need to shut down my phone, shut down my computer, and really have a couple of hours in the evening to just fully turn off. I'm a morning person, so I get up early. I don't have this like crazy morning routine. I get up and I start working because that's when my brain works the best. However, I know that for my mental health, what I really need is a couple of hours in the evening to just completely turn my brain off. So I think it's really about figuring out what makes you feel whole what's restorative for you, and just setting firm boundaries around that. 
I also think that, you know, one thing you mentioned is um, something that we talk about a lot at Curate Wellco, which is that, you know, social media is a powerful tool and it gives us a platform to connect with more people, to collaborate with more people, right? Just like we're doing right now, which is so cool. And I think that so many contemporary entrepreneurs are missing an opportunity to really be in community off of mm-hmm. social media. And so another thing I would say, um, I think that this supports the, the mental health question and the self-care question that you just asked. And I think it also um, supports kind of the business side of business, mm-hmm. which is to connect with people, whether it's over a Zoom call or in person, find people locally who you can build relationships with and nurture those relationships. It has led to so much growth in our business. Pretty much every coffee date that I've gone on, anytime I've taken the opportunity to really connect with someone over a walk or in person, or even just finding someone online and inviting them onto a Zoom call if we're not comfortable meeting in person because of the global health crisis, taking the time to just really build relationships and get to know people and be in community wherever you're based has been so valuable for our business. And Mm -hmm. it's something that I would encourage all solo entrepreneurs and people who are running online businesses to do. Yeah, it's very interesting because it's mostly about caring, Mm -hmm. meaning that you care enough about your target audience. So you are engaging on social media Mm -hmm. but also you care about the people with whom you're building partnership because Mm -hmm. you want them to be real and it's highly beneficial and I heard so many entrepreneurs who have told me that thanks to Instagram they have always job opportunities because in their network they have people refer them jobs so for sure it's very useful and uh, and yeah and I agree with you for mental health you have this support digitally because we are all in the same situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You make a really good point, which is that building those relationships is only going to spur more referrals into your business. And and yeah, it's about that like deep level of caring and and really meaningfully connecting with people. To continue with the mental health and overall well-being topic, you are saying that you take care of yourself toward the end of the day. But I feel like one of the challenge when you are starting a business is that it's hard to stop because the first year you might not make as much money as you wished. Mm -hmm. So what are your tips for those people who are at the early stage of their businesses Mm -hmm. and don't think that they can afford the luxury of taking breaks? Mm. This is such a good question. And I think it is a trap that every entrepreneur falls into at some point, right? Of kind of getting back into that grind of, you know, working in a way that we likely left our jobs to escape because we love what we do and because we're excited about it and because, you know, we have this vision of what we want to create. My perspective is that I think we go through seasons of push and pull. So we go through seasons that are going to require a lot of hustle, right? That are going to require a lot of work and long days and really being in your business and building it. And then I think there's also seasons where we can pull back, right? We can lean back, we can rest, we can go slower, we can take a break, we can look internally, we can reflect, and we can plan for the future. And so I think that, you know, there is kind of this, um, this narrative around like, you know, don't, don't, um, don't hustle that hard or, um, you know, you have to like kind of find balance in in your business. And I think that those things are, are valid. And I also think that 
it's not so black and white, right? I think that, you know, our, if we're in this for the long run, which some of us are and some of us aren't, I think it's okay to have seasons where we do more and seasons where we do less. I think that there's this narrative in the online business space of like, grow fast, grow quickly, make a lot of money and don't fail at all, right? (laughs) Like only upward trajectory, (laughs) right? So you're going to start an online business and then it's only up from there. You're just going to make more and more money and and every week, every month, every quarter is going to be better than the last. And, you know, that's entirely possible. And the reality of business is that um, there's a lot more ups and downs and whether or not someone is, is talking about those ups and downs on social media is, you know, TBD. (laughs) And like the reality of business is that I think we go through different seasons. We go through different seasons of success and we also go through different seasons of, you know, how much we're working. And I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. And speaking about all that, you know, earlier you were saying that you have long-term goals for the Mm -hmm. next 10 years and so forth. So you seem to be someone who's very well organized. What are the tips you would give to solo entrepreneurs for them to be organized, but also productive? Good question. So I think that um, these two things are r- related and a little bit different. Um, in terms of organization, I think that the key is having the right tools in place and having your processes down and documented. So what that looks like is, um, you know, what are the channels of communication that you're using in your business? So for example, with both our clients and with our internal team, we use Slack. That is one way that we stay organized is by having all of our communication in one place. The second thing is by having all of your standard operating procedures documented. So as you're building out processes in your business, write it down so that when you do hire people in, um, everything is already kind of organized and ready for them to go, right? There's a step-by-step list of instructions and it's saved in the appropriate folder. And you know, you've got the documentation to support all of the actions that you're taking in your business. In terms of productivity, one of the things that's been most helpful for me when it comes to being productive, and and you mentioned this too, is just understanding how you work. So um, there's one exercise that that, um, I learned in my career that I have shared with my team, which is to complete a user manual. So just like an appliance, like a refrigerator or something like that comes with a user manual of how it works, you can create a user manual for you. How do you work? Hmm right? Under what conditions do you work best? How do you like to communicate? How do you like to receive feedback? What is the like physical work environment you like to be in? What really grinds your gears? Like what can't you stand? And so doing some reflection on that and documenting it and sharing it with other people, if there's other people on your team can be really helpful. And kind of as a practical implementation of that, understanding how you work and what's going to feel aligned for you and kind of eliminate that sense of friction is really important. So when it comes to productivity specifically, as an example, I'm a morning person. So I'm really productive in the morning. It hits, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, evening, and my brain is is not operating the same way. And so I skew my workday to start earlier and end earlier because I know that I'm not productive in the evening anyways. And I also slate time to work on my projects accordingly. I know that, you know, the first few hours of the day, my brain wants to do a certain set of activities. Whereas in the middle of the day, my brain really wants to do a different set of activities. So I'm really diligent about how I organize my calendar to support what I know about my own productivity habits. I love, honestly, the analogy with the user manual. I think it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I'm going to use that now. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I'll send you the template that I have so you can fill it out for yourself. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, speaking about knowing yourself and so forth, there are still some stuff that we cannot predict. Mm-hmm. One of them has been the pandemic. You know, mm-hmm. it all hit us. And I wanted to know, what did it teach you, you know, about yourself, about your business? Oh, that is such a good question. <laughs> so many things. I feel like we all learned so many things this year. So um, on a personal level, one thing I learned about myself is that I do really well with structure. And so when that structure was taken away, um, the balance in my life and how I was spending my time really changed. So for example, I learned that, you know, I'm a, I'm a really, um, I'm a really driven person. I'm super type A. Um, I'm, I'm a hard worker. And so when the structures of, you know, being able to go to the gym or go to a workout, the structures of social events were taken away. I found myself just working so, so, so much. And so, Mm. you know, what I took away from that and what I learned about myself was, okay, you do really, really well when you have kind of like firm structures and boundaries that hold you accountable to creating the life that, that you really want for yourself day to day. So that was one thing I learned personally about myself. I think another thing that I learned in terms of business is two things. The first is just how important community is. You know, I think that a lot of businesses um, panicked at the beginning of the pandemic and they were really worried about the success of their business. And one thing that I've learned is that when you have a really deep, connected, robust community in place, your business is going to be fine right? When you have those meaningful relationships, when you are connected, when you have a social circle, when you have people who are there to support you and and you're there to support them and you can um, continue to uphold each other's endeavors, your business is going to be totally fine. And so I think that I really learned or or at least uh, more deeply understood the power of being in community this year. And one thing I've noticed is that the businesses that have continued to thrive, um, part of what I think is responsible for that is that they have a community, right? They have relationships, they have a loyal customer base, they have people who genuinely are invested in in what they're doing to some extent. I think another thing that I learned this year from a business perspective because of the pandemic is just that importance of playing the long game. Um, you know, we were talking before about like some trends in the online business space. And I think another one of those trends is that I think a lot of online business owners tend to be fairly short-sighted. And so when something unexpected happens, it's this like, oh no, moment of like, what am I going to do? And when you can take a long-term perspective of your business, you can see that as challenging and, um, and significant as this year has been. And I don't want to undermine that because it has been challenging and significant mm-hmm. and um, really defining in a lot of ways and in a lot of different ways. We can see this year though, as you know, one point on the timeline of your business. And I think it offers a sense of security and stability to know that if you're like, if you're building a long-term legacy-based business, that you know, you, you this year is not the be all end all of that. You said that you think that a lot of entrepreneurs tend to be short sighted. Mm-hmm. And since we're reaching the end of the year, a time where entrepreneurs set annual goals. Yeah. I wanted to know, according to you, what are the most common mistakes that you see people doing when they're setting annual goals? Ooh, I love this question. So I think that when we're talking about goals, we need to differentiate between the like big 
exciting goals that you're setting in your business versus um, objectives or KPIs. And the reason why I want to differentiate those two is because when you're setting your like big dream goals, those don't need to be founded in anything, right? The best goals are actually set from the future and are not constrained by anything we've done in the past. And so when you're saying, okay, like big picture, this is what I want to accomplish in 2021, being able to set those like kind of, um, audacious goals is really, really valuable. I think though, that when it comes to the more like tactical, logistical, um, operational objectives in your business, people don't necessarily dig into the data to really understand those. Right. And so Mm -hmm. for example, if we're talking about revenue goals, people will like throw out a number and, you know, great, great place to start. But have you actually like mapped out where that money is actually coming from? Have you planned out your offer suite and your launch dates to make sure that all of the money in that goal is accounted for across the span of the year? Do you know your ideal client well enough that you know what they're going to need? And so you can create offerings that are really going to serve them and are going to drive that revenue goal. So the biggest mistake I think I see is that people don't differentiate between, you know, the audacious shoot for the moon goals and the like objectives that they're working towards in their business. And I think it's important to differentiate those two because they require a different mindset and you have to look at them through a different lens. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Everything that you said actually brings me to my last question. I was wondering if you could give five tips for solo entrepreneurs who are growing their businesses during the pandemic. Mm. What are your most important tips? Yes. Great question. So in no particular order, Mm -hmm. what I would say, number one is to know your ideal client. Um, Going back to what I said around um, the importance of community, you know, the same goes for the community of potential clients that you're building around your business. You, if you know these people in so much detail, it's going to allow you to better serve them no matter what's happening in the world. So I think that really deeply understanding your ideal client is an excellent place to start. I think that the second thing that I would say is to identify and define your core values. When unexpected things happen in the world and we don't know like what to do or the context in which we're operating has just changed so drastically, your values serve as kind of that guiding light, as those pillars that can inform all of your decisions. And so long as you're in alignment with your values, what you believe to be true and important and real about the world, any decision you make is gonna be able to kind of flex with the times. So that's the second thing I would say. I think the third thing that I would say is to be really diligent about data. This has been huge for growing our business. And, you know, I'm really not one for copy paste strategies. However, I do think that data is a really, really powerful tool to create more humanness and more connection and um, more supportive systems and offerings in your business. And so I think that knowing your numbers is really, really valuable and can provide um, just that super detailed context to know how and when and in what ways you're going to pivot when things when things happen. And so if you're not already collecting data in your business, start doing that. As we're going into planning for the new year, I am just so grateful that we have a year's worth of data to inform Mm -hmm. all of those decisions. So that's the third thing that I would say. 
And then I think the fourth thing is to really think about your long-term vision. If you don't know what your business is going to look like 10 years from now, spend some time thinking about that. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of people went into the mentality of, well, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, right, with this pandemic. Um, So how can I possibly think about 10 years from now? And it sounds counterintuitive, but it's actually an incredibly helpful exercise to remove yourself from the past, to remove yourself from the stressors of what are happening right now and actively choose what you want your future to look like. And then let's see, the last thing that I would say Oh, it's my last one. It's got to be a good one. I would say, (laughs) (laughs) I think, um, you know, surround yourself with people who can support you. I think that when it comes to growing a business in general, and especially amidst, you know, challenges like a pandemic, having people in your corner is just so important. So, you know, maybe this is inside your business. Maybe it's outside your business in your personal life, but just have kind of like your core bubble of people who are really just there for you and who are just willing to support you in different ways. And, um, you know, I think we, I think we just, we just really need that, right. We need those people in our corner. And, um, especially as a business owner, you know, I, I couldn't do what I do without, you know, my few closest friends, without my partner, without my team. And so, um, you know, really surround yourself with people who, who are going to, you know, lift you up. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. All those tips were really useful and I really feel like my audience is going to use them. Um, And thank you for answering all my questions. Before leaving, would you tell my audience where they could find you? Yes, you can find me and Curate Wellco on Instagram. That's the easiest way to find us. Our handle is at Curate Wellco, all one word, all lowercase. Wonderful. Thank you. And have an amazing day. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. This was such a lovely conversation. Guys, that's it for today's episode. Make sure you subscribe because next week I'm talking about contracts and legal documents with a lawyer. You don't want to miss this one. Talk to you soon.